Now, we've been talking about the children of Israel and we've been talking about specifically the subject of worship. We've said that worship is not just a love song sung to God, but it's a love song lived to God. That a life is a worship song to the Lord, amen? And that worship is not just something you do on Sunday morning, it's something you do with your life everywhere you go, on every occasion, in every circumstance and situation. So worship is literally connecting with God's purpose, connecting with the reason he gave you life, connecting with his word, and hearing his spirit and being led by his spirit. And when you do that, you connect with him. And when you connect with him, he fills your life with peace. You get into that sweet spot, into that zone, that place where everything is lining up. Why? Because you've let go of striving. We'll talk more about that. And you've, and you've, you've grabbed hold of purpose. And purpose is saying, Lord, I was born for your good pleasure. So God, I'm going to live for your good pleasure. Amen. And so when you connect with that, it literally, it, it fills you with peace. Peace. Now there's other words there that we've, come on, John. There you go, baby. There we go. He was, um, it connects you with peace. And that's what we're really talking about. Now, there's certain things that rob you of this connection that in turn rob you of that peace, rob you of that joy. And so the enemy wants to see you robbed of that. Think about this with me for a second. First, he doesn't want you saved. But if you do get saved, he wants to make sure you don't live a life worthy of that salvation. The Bible says, don't you know you've been purchased at a high price? It cost Jesus Christ his life. So live up to that. Why? So that you might what? Be a testimony. So that you might experience what he gave, came to give you. But if the enemy severs that and you're saved, but you're still living broke, busted, and disgusted. And everyone else is watching this. And so you have to understand that God wants you connected. The enemy wants it severed. He wants to hamper it. He wants to hold it back. He wants to interrupt it. He wants to stifle it. You say, Pastor, so is it possible to be saved and have like a bad connection? Yeah. Have a staticky connection where you don't really feel like you're hearing God and receiving from him that peace. And one of the things he uses is complaining. Hello. You didn't really have to look at them. When I said, when, like right when I said complaining, some of y'all went, I'm just going to let that settle. Complaining. The, the second one we talked about last week is familiarity. And the sin of familiarity or the trap of familiarity is when you start treating people so familiar that you forget to respect and honor them. You know, it's possible to treat your boss like he's one of the guys or one of the gals and actually disrespect them. You know, some students disrespect their teachers that way. Some church folks disrespect each other that way. And God says, show each other honor. Lift each other up. Make sure that you always respect each other. And, don't. and we saw that Miriam and Aaron, they treated Moses like little brother rather than the man of God that he was. Come on, some folks will still treat you like you used to be. What do I mean by that? They can't see you saved. They can't see you walking in your promise. They still see you as the person you used to be. And sometimes you gotta let them know, hey, that's not who I am. God has done a work. You need to look a little closer. You need to understand what he's doing in my life because the trap of familiarity is real. And the third one we talked about is fear. 
And we said that the children of Israel left Egypt. They crossed through the Red Sea. God delivered them from their enemies. He brought them to Mount Sinai and they started worshiping a golden calf with orgies and all kinds of nonsense. I and mean, that was bad. Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. He's so angry, he kind of throws the commandments at them. And he has to go back on the mountain and get some new ones. This was a bad deal, you know, and they just started on their journey. And so they leave Mount Sinai. This is a couple of weeks in, and just a couple of days, they start complaining. They start dishonoring. They start fearing. God says, I want you to send spies into the promised land. You're going to tell the people how awesome it is. They came back and said, there's giants. We'll never make it. We'll never make it. And we learned a valuable lesson that God sometimes will let you live by what you have professed. What do I mean by that? If you lack the faith in him when he has shown you over and over and over and your confession of faith is one of fear, then he'll say, okay. And Job literally said, the thing which I most feared has come upon me. Which means you can stand in the batter's box and say, I'm gonna strike out, I'm gonna strike out, I'm gonna strike out, I'm gonna strike out. Guess what you're gonna do? You can sit for that test and say, I'm gonna fail, I'm gonna fail, I'm gonna fail, I'm gonna fail. Guess what you're gonna do? You can stand at the free throw line and say, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss. Guess what you're going to do? See, it's easy to see that in our children, but it's, it's happening to us every day too. Through fear, we can say, my marriage is never going to make it. It's never going to make it. It's never going to make it. Guess what it's going to do? But what if we speak life? What if we speak life to one another? And so we have to be careful how we respond because in fear, they went, to the, they, they went in the worst direction possible. And that is the fourth thing I wanna talk to you about here today that severs our relationships. We're gonna continue on this journey together about worship. Um, but for right now, I wanna conclude the four things that sever your, your connection with God through worship, and that is the, the fourth one is covetousness slash rebellion. Now I need you to understand something. Covetousness is, or, or thou shalt not covet is the 10th commandment. Do you know that the great theologian uh, Francis Schaeffer said, you will break the 10th commandment before you break any of the other nine. Because the 10th commandment is the chief one. And the reason it's the chief one, because it literally is the inverse of what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? Thou shalt love the Lord your God without, with all of your what? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love him with everything you have and love others as you love yourself. But to invert that is to covet against God. Meaning, Lord, I don't love you enough to truly trust you. I want to be in charge. I want to rebel against you. I, I, I. Now, the second commandment is a part of the first, right? And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor. When you covet with what he has or what she has, you are sinning against them. And so, thou shalt not covet is a big deal. It's the reason Paul said, I used to be a Pharisee that thought I had it all figured out. I was a righteous one. I thought I was better than most. And that I was going straight to heaven. Why? Because I could keep all of the commandments and I would check them. Didn't matter that they had lowered them. Remember, that's why Jesus says, you've lowered them too much. You say that thou shalt not commit adultery means don't sleep with anybody technically not 
this and that. But I'm telling you, there's no technicalities here. You look at a woman, uh uh-oh. All you gotta do is look. And so that's a high standard. And this is why Paul says, I used to lower the standard and I could check them off real easy, but thou shalt not covet hit me in my heart, he said. And when I read that, I knew I was a sinner and I needed a savior. Why? Because at the end of the day, I was a coveter. I coveted. You go, well, what does it mean to covet? That's where envy and strife and, and, and all kinds of things come from. And we'll read about it. And this is where the rebellion starts. Now, I want to highlight a couple of things for you about this rebellion. It has to do with a man named Korah. Korah is the main man of this whole, whole rebellion. And he gets two other compadres with him. So like the three amigos. There's a fourth one, but he's not worth mentioning. Okay. So there's the three musketeers here. And you have... The Bible starts off in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, verse 1. One day Korah, son of Izara, or Izar, a descendant of Kohath, the son of Levi. Now, why is this important? The reason it's important because he is he comes from the line of priests. We know that Levi was the father of the tribe of Levi. And that God has selected them, listen to me very closely, to be the priests. And in the book of Leviticus, he gives the priestly duties. And specifically to Kohath, he gives the duty to be responsible for some of the most amazing parts of the tabernacle. Do you know he gave them a responsibility of the Ark of the Covenant? Think about this with me for a second. They're in charge of the Ark where God's presence would reside. This is the same ark that when David had a misstep with it and and someone died, David said, I don't want it, that Obed-Edom took it into his house and his house was blessed so amazing that it spread throughout the entire country. And David said, "Uh uh-uh, I got to get it back. That's how awesome the Ark of the Covenant, that's, he had that privilege, But this is the thing with covetousness, envy, strife, striving. Listen to me very closely. It robs you from the blessing you have right in front of you. Because you start looking across to other people. You start, well, I want what they, why why don't I get, and God's going, you get the ark. You're responsible for transporting it, for caring for it. If you would just understand that that worship you could do and how it would unfold. Oh my goodness. But, but let me share something else with you. Do you realize that all these guys are related? You go, well, yeah, of course they're related. They're all one people. No, no, no. Aaron and Moses are brothers and Korah is rebelling against these guys and he's their cousin. <laughs> it's interesting how how this works, we have to be careful because sometimes the enemy works the hardest with those that are supposed to be the closest. Because one thing I've learned is I started reading this, I said, this can apply to business, this can apply to organizations, this can apply to the classroom, this can apply on the field with coaches and all sorts of things, it can apply. But it applies best in the church and you wanna know why? Because the church is where the enemy works the hardest. You know why he works the hardest? Because there's the most at stake. Lives are at stake. Families are at stake. 
communities are at stake. And he knows that if he can embarrass God in the church, then he can keep the kingdom from advancing the way it should. So stay with me on this. Stay with me on this. One day Korah, he conspired with Dathan and Abiram. And they were, Nathan and Abiram were from the tribe of Reuben. They incited a rebellion against Moses along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. So they got, they didn't just get, and this is the thing. This guy, Korah, he's got some leadership ability. He really does. Why? Because he was able to really get some folks going. But can I tell you something really, really important. It's a lot harder to lead for the good than it is to lead for the bad. You go, I don't know. Well, let me put it to you this way. I always found it easier to rebel rouse than it was to get people to do the right thing. Why? Because in our fallen human heart, there's a rebel in us. And it connects. I mean, it just joins like a molecular compounding join, joint of saying, you know what? Rebellion, yeah, I'm all about it. Haven't you noticed it's easy for the guy to come in the break room and start stirring it up and people just start. It's easy for that parent to say, you know what, that coach, he ain't no good and this and this and that. Yeah, you know, I was noticing he didn't play my son either and he just, isn't that true? And boy, they can stir it up quick. It's easy, why? I found this out early on when I was in youth camp. I remember my dad took us to youth camp and I had, there was churches from all over the state of Texas, 2,000 kids. Boy, it was nothing for me to get like 500, 700, 800 guys all riled up, ready for pillow fight and knocking each other's heads off. You know what I'd do? I'd say, you know what? These leaders say we can't have a pillow fight. What's wrong with them? That's the whole reason we came, isn't it? No, I thought it was to get God's word. (laughs) Oh yeah, that too, but, right? You know what? We've been having pillow fights since we were kids. We're going to do it here too. And boy, I started rebel rousing so bad. We just, it was a mutiny. The leaders were trying to control it. 500,000 guys out there hitting, we hit leaders. We pound them in the ground. We were just going nuts. And then they threatened to shut the camp down. Send us all home. I thought we had gotten away with it the next year. They had a meeting, leaders meeting has mandatory. We want to warn you of some real troublemakers and rebel rousers. <laughs> My dad was in the meeting. He's sitting there all happy and they go, first one on the list, Chris Pena. Second one on the list, Aaron Pena. Third one on the list, Isaac Pena. Fourth one on the list, Henry Quinones. That's my cousin. <laughs> Third one on the list, Leo Rodriguez. He was part of our church. My dad said, what? You know what he told me? I'll never forget. He said, anyone can lead for wrong. Doesn't take that much leadership. Inspire men to do right, and then you'll, feel, you'll see what you're really about. Because because men are ready to rebel and they'll follow any joker who's willing to, uh-oh. Isn't that true? Try to build something quality and you'll see what you're really made of. 
When you build something of quality and of substance that will last like the kingdom of God, and you'll see the enemy come against you with all of hell's fury, all of it. And here you have it. He's, he's, he's stirring everybody up, right? And so this is what happens. They united against Moses and Aaron and said, you have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart. We're all important. We're all Christians here. How dare you begin? You get to be the pastor. You know what, what's so interesting is that as I was preparing this and studying, I'm like, man, Lord, I've seen it all in my 20 years. I've seen it all, the good, bad, and the ugly. And what I have seen is this. They always start something like that. There's no difference between us. And can I tell you, yes, the book of Galatians says at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. God loves us all the same. But that doesn't mean we have all the same roles. We don't always have the same assignment. We don't always have the same duties and the same responsibilities. And God's the one who decides. But they spoke truth. They said, aren't we all the same? Who died and made you king? Who died and made you boss? Who died and gave you the, the authority? And you know what I love? I can relate to Moses on this because I never wanted to be a pastor. I told the Lord, I saw what it took with my grandfather and my father. And I said, Lord, I'll do anything for you but that. I don't have what it takes. I don't want it. And Moses said the same thing. He tried to just give the job away so many times and God goes, nope, you're the one. And so when people complain about my leadership, I'm always like, I know. <laughs> yes, I know. God. <laughs> That's important because sometimes, sometimes people will be like, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. Can we pray together for me? that's, but they're not having it. So watch what happens. You go, you go, pastor, how serious is this? Do you know it's serious enough that God highlighted this in the New Testament? He highlights three from the Old Testament that he really wants us to mark. And this is what he says in the book of Jude. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. What is he saying? He's saying that the New Testament church, if you're not careful, God will use, I mean, the enemy will use the same old tactic and stir up jealousy like he did in Cain, greed like he did with Balaam, and rebellion through covetousness like he did with Korah. It does still happen. It's what, it's what the, the Holy Spirit's saying. So stay with me on this. Let's go back. And realize that what we're dealing with here is something really evil. I know I've been making light of it and we're laughing and whatnot. But the enemy wants to destroy our connection with God. He wants to destroy mine. He wants to destroy yours. He wants to destroy all of ours. And eventually he wants to destroy the church. And so he'll use these things. And I'm, I'm just as susceptible to it as you are. So we have to guard our hearts against it. And you see this in the book of James, James chapter three, James calls this pure evil. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. That means quit denying the truth. The wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly and sensual. He's saying, if you start having that, you're not going to be receiving. It's going to be cut off. And your wisdom, you're going to be getting from the earth, from the way the world looks at things. You'll start looking at things differently. That's what he's saying. Now watch this. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there as well. That's not a good thing here. 
But the wisdom that is from above is first. I mean, it's, it's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Ultimately, it's about peace, he says. It really is about peace. Isn't that what we've been talking about? Connecting with God that we might have his peace. And the enemy wants to disconnect us. And so they keep saying, wait, how did you get to be in charge? And so Moses hits him up with, uh, Pastor Moses hits him up with Psalm 75. I'm just kidding. Psalm 75 didn't exist yet, but read Psalm 75. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west, nor from the south, but it comes from the north, from above. And it is by God's doing. God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. And so that's what I want you to have in your heart. If you ever, and, and many of you have been there. How many of you have ever been in a place of leadership and you've had to deal with just contention, rebellion, nonsense? Anyone? You, you're, gonna have to, you're gonna have to gird yourself up in the truth that God put you there. Because what the enemy is trying to get you to do is feel insecure. And if you feel insecure, then you'll start apologizing, explaining, and you'll start just doing all, and you have to just stand in the fact that, hey, God put me here. Lord, when you get ready to remove me, you, you have no problem. But as long as you have me here, Lord, I'm gonna do it for the honor and glory of you. Amen. And you say, but pastor, I'm not a pastor. I'm just leading this, or I'm just leading that. You still represent God there. God still wants to use you to flow and to make that business flourish and that bless other people's lives. Does he not? He put you there for that very purpose. So gird yourself up with this verse. Lord, you put me there. So let's go back to the, to the revival, to the rebellion. Let's go back to the rebellion. Verse four. When Moses heard what they were saying, he fell on his face on the ground. Now you're going to see Moses' response to what they're complaining about and what they're going at him with. You're going to see three distinct actions. Number one, he doesn't get in their face. He gets on his face. Very, very good. Because if you're anything like me and if you're human at all, isn't it hard to go to God and not feel like you want to defend yourself and let him have it and combat it in the flesh? You want to fight fire with fire. I've actually had a very, very interesting occurrence once when a gentleman with a very, very uh, bad heart, I mean, I'm just going to say the truth. You say, well, maybe he changed. And, and, and I, I pray he did, and I'm sure he did. We all change. However, in this moment, he slid a napkin across to me, and it literally told me he was undermining our church, undermining my authority. He was building consensus and a group against the leadership and fully wanted to, basically he admitted to a coup d'etat of his own kind. What do you think my natural reaction would be? What would be your natural reaction? My natural reaction, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you, is, man, you don't know me. I will whip you up and down and all around. And <laughs> my natural reaction was to go across that table, grab him, and just bam, 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 done. Yeah. 
finish him. No. That's your natural reaction, is it not? Especially when you're 30 years old and you feel strong. At 50, I'm not as strong. Some of y'all are looking like, you just said that? Yeah, I used that's your natural reaction. So I, I love Moses here because he shows you, remember what my dad told me, anyone can lead the world's way. It takes a real special person to build something quality. And he said, Moses fell on his face. I remember saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. And God said, why don't you tell me about it? And so he naturally brought me to my knees. And I learned something that day, even though I wasn't necessarily recalling this verse, I learned that you deal with these situations with God. You go to God, listen to me, go to God, fall on your face. Then he said to Korah and his followers, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. What is he doing? Number one, he falls on his face. Number two, he doesn't let it linger and fester. He goes, come on, let's talk about this. And then you're gonna see number three. He tells them what to do, light fires. Um, he says, Cora, you and all of your followers must prepare your incense burners, light fires in them tomorrow and burn incense before the Lord. Then we will see whom the Lord has chosen as, the holy, as his holy one. You Levites are the ones that have gone too far. Then Moses spoke again to Korah. Now listen, you Levites. Does it seem insignificant to you that the, that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all of the community of Israel to be near him as you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the Lord to minister to them? Basically, he's saying, hey guys, let's reconsider. So that's number three. He's seeking peace. He's saying, hey, let's not do this. Don't go this way. Come on, let, let's get together. So number one, falls on his face. Number two, what? He doesn't let it linger. Number three, he says, let's, let's, let's come together. Let's put this behind us. Let, let's, let's stop immediately. Okay? The Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. Then he tells them, this isn't about me. It's not about you. It's about the enemy and he's having you revolt against God. Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they replied, we refuse to come before you. Now watch what they do. Isn't it enough that you have brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey? Excuse me? You were slaves. They were mistreating you. Can I tell you, remember what James said? This wisdom does not come from above. It comes from where? From the evil one. So the evil one is lying to them and they're believing it. They're actually distorting real truth. And that's what happens when you get caught up in nonsense. You start distorting the truth. They say, we were in a land full of milk and honey and you brought us out here and you promised us a land flowing with milk and honey, but you didn't deliver it. No, 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 excuse me. You guys got caught up in fear and you said there's no way you can take the land God was showing you. So you refused it. God said, okay, then you'll stay here. Now you're blaming Moses for that? Distorting all this truth? Keep going with me. 
So Moses says, prepare your incense burners. We're gonna see what's going on. Verse 22, but Moses and Aaron fell on their face before the Lord. Why did they fall on their face before the Lord? Because as they came out, I'm gonna back up to verse 18. So each of these men prepared their incense burner, lit the fire and placed incense on it, right? Then they all stood at the entrance of the tabernacle with Moses and Aaron. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron and they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them. Hello. Hello. Come on. How many of you would have been like James and John? Let's do it, Lord. Do it now. Come on. Have you seen The Chosen? The Chosen is amazing. It's amazing. My family is addicted to that show. You say, what is it? It's a mini series of the life of Jesus. And so in the last episode we watched, you know, somebody spit on James and John and James and John started calling down fire from heaven and Jesus is like, whoa, dude, that's like not what we're doing here. We're trying to save people. And, uh, and Moses here, now you know why he fell on his face. Do you realize Moses is always on his face? And I think this is God. Some of you, us have heard pastors say, well, God really wanted to destroy them. He's testing Moses' heart. You know why? I'm gonna share something with you because as Christians and as leaders, we always have to be testing our heart because leading and living in a rebellious world is hard. And the hardest thing to do is to keep the right heart. That's God saying, listen. <laughs> you know, isn't it? It's, it's hard to keep the right heart. I know for, for Pastor Melissa and I, that's been the hardest thing. Sometimes we've had to heal from post-traumatic stress. Well, I don't even know if that's the real thing. Just... Heal a real heart. I'm not saying that it's not a real thing. I'm not saying, I'm saying that maybe I shouldn't use it to, to put it on me. Because those that suffer from that, that's, that's horrible. And I don't, I wouldn't say that. But I know for me, I've had to have my own little healing. Because when I was in the world and I was a boss, I, um, I would make decisions and things would happen but in the church, it's not business, it's personal. And when things go wrong and things happen like this, it really hurts you. And I think God is testing Moses' heart here and saying, are you still up to it? Should I destroy him? And if he says yes, then he'll, God would probably go, okay, it's time to find another leader. They've gotten the best of him. His heart is gone and I need to restore him. And so here you have Moses saying, no, no, no. And then he says, I'm gonna destroy them. But, but, but Moses prays, but Moses and Aaron fell on their face. Oh God, they pleaded. You are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? They're highlighting Korah, right? And the Lord said to Moses, Moses, 
Then tell all the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. This is very, very significant. Why? Because if you hang around with those that are doing this, you're going to get wrapped up in it. And something's going to get destroyed in the process, your relationship with God. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Okay, let me show you New Testament. In the New Testament, the Bible says this. Now I urge you, brethren, this is Paul talking to the church in Rome. Note those who cause divisions. What do you mean by note them? Every time I'm around this person, they're just stirring something up. I'm going to note you. I got you. Heather's like, no, not me. Contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Yeah, but I need two. I need two verses. Okay, Titus chapter three, verse 10. Warn a divisive person once, then warn them second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. Ooh, look, it's the same principle. God tells Moses, tell the rest of the people, get away, get away. Do you wanna know who can't get away? Who doesn't get away? Well, you'll see it. Turn in your Bibles Verse 27, but I'm going to start on verse 25. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all of their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out, stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. Who couldn't get away? Family. Do you realize that this is what hurts more churches than anything else? Every time I invite someone or I, I, I get in a conversation with someone who hasn't been to church and they say, yeah, yeah, I used to go to church a long time ago. And I always say like, what happened? Or How many people have you run across that say something like this? I used to go to church, but such and such happened. It just, just, just did something to me and I just stayed away. See, they may not be swallowed alive by the ground the way it's going to happen, but their relationship, their connection is severed. Yeah, this and this happened to my mom and dad, or this and this happened when I was in the youth group, or this and this happened when I was on the worship team, this and this happened, and it just happened. Because the enemy is trying to destroy something. He's trying to destroy the witness of Jesus Christ on the earth. We have that beautiful, awesome privilege to be the witness of Jesus Christ, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to go ye therefore and make disciples and show the world his love. His love. That's why Jesus said, they will know you. Who is they? The world will know you by your love one for another. But the enemy wants to destroy that. And so here you have... And let me just say something. When you do that, your children will suffer. Okay, I'm gonna I honor my father because he is an amazing man of God. But he went through some battles as a pastor. Mistreated, mistreated. And then he got to the point where he's like, I'm not gonna be mistreated anymore. I'm gonna fight back. And I think on one occasion, he just made it too messy. And he did something in his sons. 
Because each one of us said, we'll never be a deacon and we'll never be a pastor. Mm. It wasn't until God healed something in me. But I ran for a long time because of that. Can I tell you who wasn't destroyed? Turn in your Bibles to Numbers 26, verse 11. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. Why didn't they die? Because maybe he was an empty nester and he, they didn't get around him. They're like, dad, we love you, but man, you can be a little, I think I'm gonna get away. We know that the children of Korah remained service of the Lord. Do you realize that they actually wrote some of the best Psalms that we sing today, like Psalms 42 and Psalms 84, as a deer pants for the water, so my, lo- my soul longs after you. That's them. How about this? Better is one day in your courts, O oh Lord, than a thousand anywhere else. Amen. That's, that's the children of Korah. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God is an amazing God the way he does this. And so, so this is what Moses says. It's, it's, it's go time. He says, this is what we're gonna pray. I'm gonna pray that if I'm wrong, you're gonna live and, and, and die a natural death someday. And they'll know that I was wrong. But if I pray that God does something supernatural and it happens, then we know that you were wrong. So this is what he says. He says, Lord, I pray that you take these people in a way you've never done before. Open up the ground and let them fall straight down and then close it up. And as soon as he stopped praying, the ground opened up, they fell down and whoop, and everybody goes, whoa. And they start running, they ran like, ah, run for your lives. Everybody save yourself, right? It was nuts. <laughs> you can read it. But, but what I really want to highlight is verse 41. On the next day, all the congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron again. You have killed the people of the Lord. You did it. This wisdom is not from above. You can tell it's not from above. What I'm saying is that that's typically what happens in a church split. People get mad at each other. The people that left are mad. The people that stayed behind are mad. Everybody's mad. Everybody's upset. They have no real perspective. And it just gets messy and the devil's sitting back there going, yeah, I did it. So, I want to let you know something, guys. The reason I'm preaching this pretty hard and I'm keeping you a little longer is this. Stay with me. I truly believe one of the strongholds of this community is envy, jealousy, and covetousness. And the way you deal with it is you come against it with God's word. Notice, we're not a rich community and everybody's always wanting what everybody else wants. They don't want everybody else to get ahead of them. Always pulling each other down. We need school bonds passed and nobody wants to do, just like, ugh. But not just that. What does this church need more than schools? I mean, what does this community need more than schools? Needs great churches. And yet, Anytime a church starts to prosper, people start to pull down and criticize and get upset. And sometimes I get, I get discouraged because I'm like, Lord, 
I hear people like, like wanting what I have and being envious of what I have. And I'm like, why? I don't have anything. Can I tell you, don't be jealous of me. I don't have anything. I'm just a little pastor. And that's what I told God. And God says, no, you're wrong. You're dripping with my blessing. You're dripping with it. It's all over you. Okay, then in that case, I'm not going to tell you, don't want what I have. Want what I have. You can have it too, but you don't have to be envious of me. You don't have to be envious of each other. You don't have to tear each other down and look at other people and want what they have and be upset because you can't have it. You can have it too. All you have to do is go before the Lord and say, God, you're a great, awesome king. And God, I love you. And I love my family. And I love my church. And I love my community. And I want to be a blessing. And I'm going to stop living by a spirit of striving. Striving means I want more. I want better. And you're always comparing yourself to others. Why? Because that's the only way you can feel better. That used to be me. I let that go and I say, Lord, I don't want to strive anymore. I want purpose. Purpose means I get to get up every single day, give you my best, and I let you determine the outcome. You determine the outcome. You decide. You decide what I should have. And I'm good. I'm good. If you give me a little, I'll be happy. You give me nothing, I'll be happy. If you give me a lot, I'll be happy. Lord, it's about you. Can I get someone to break through today? And say, I'm tired of striving. That's the world's way, ambition. How do you know you're getting ahead unless you compare yourself to others? I'm asking you to break through with purpose living. Purpose living is, Lord, you made me unique, and I stand before you unique and highly blessed. I am a child of the Most High God. Therefore, every day I get to get up and live the unique life you gave me the privilege of living, and I'm going to love this wife you gave me. You can't have my wife. You can't have my kids. You can't. Some of you are going, I didn't know we wanted him then you're already learning. But, but we do live in a very, 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 very competitive, striving world. And it's time for us to be different. It's time for us to be different. I love you, church. I love you. With all my heart, I love you. Therefore, Bastrop is growing. Change is coming. And what this community needs, along with its other needs, yes, we need more restaurants, I get it. (laughs) We need more options, more than just pizza, chicken, and Mexican food. God, please bring them. God, give us great schools. Lord, we bless our school board leaders and our teachers and our administrators. Give us great schools. But above all, Lord, we need great churches. We need great churches. Protect us with unity. God, the spirit of unity, let it, let it flow in our midst. Cover us that we may be dripping with your blessing, Lord. Not so that we would envy one another, but so that we would celebrate each other. This is what you did in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
I pray right now, Lord, we pray for our neighbors across the street. God, let them be a vibrant, awesome church. We pray for BCOC. Let them be a vibrant, awesome church. You have a specific purpose for each of us. Lord, we pray for all of our Christian brothers. In Jesus' name. Church, I love you. Thank you for coming and we will see you soon. Have a great, great week.